Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci & Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci & Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci & Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated. The views and opinions expressed are based on current economic and market conditions and are subject to change. All investing involves risk, including the potential for loss of principal. Welcome to Don't Invest and Forget, a weekly financial news magazine designed to educate and equip you with the roadmap and direction you need to manage your money, meet your financial goals, and instill confidence in your investment choices on the road to retirement. Your host is author, radio commentator, and investment advisor, Pat Vitucci of Vitucci & Associates. With over 30 years' experience in the world of finance and investment planning, Pat specializes in personal and corporate investment management with special emphasis on retirement planning. Banking sector fears begin to fade even as regulators testify before Congress over the collapse of Silicon Valley and signature banks. Meanwhile, consumer confidence is on the uptick in March, and Disney announces the first round of staff cutbacks. Welcome once again to this edition of Don't Invest and Forget, the program that every week helps you keep your finger on the pulse of your money from Wall Street to Main Street to your wallet. Our host, 30-plus year financial manager and author Pat Petucci, and I'm Craig Roberts. Well, Pat, certainly good news that there's slowly a little bit of consumer confidence beginning to creep back in after what has been a pretty volatile first quarter launching into the brand new year. But with all of that, the looming concern over ongoing staff cutbacks, particularly in the high tech sector, no doubt are going to worry some folks. Yeah, it seems like every day the top story on the six o'clock news is XYZ company laying off X thousand people. So the softening employment market continues. And that's probably good news for Fed Reserve chairman because inflation is, is a continuing issue. Some of the data that they specifically look at is employment numbers. And so if employment numbers continue to be strong, then they have to continue raising interest rates. And so kind of the bad news is good news from the Federal Reserve chairman's point of view you know, again, Disney laying off 7,000 people as Bob Iger gets back comfortably into his leadership role after being retired for a couple of years. And I'm not sure how comfortable that would be to go back to your old job and re-engage after he's kind of tasted the retirement life. Speaking of Disney, interesting observation this week, because Disney's stock is so depressed, there's some discussion about Apple Buying Disney, wouldn't that be an interesting conglomerate? When you think of Steve Jobs starting this thing many years ago in this little tiny computer company, and here it's this giant darling of Wall Street many years later, and now the combination of Apple and Disney would be uh, very interesting. Disney's got all the content, and Apple's got the technical skills to distribute it. Gosh, what would be the market cap for a company like Apple slash Disney. What we didn't see this week was any kind of contagion in this whole banking fiasco with Silicon Valley Bank, Signature Bank going under. It was kind of touch and go almost on a daily basis of 
would the contagion spread to other banking entities? And so far, the answer is, at least for the time being, no. But as, as interest rates climb from zero to seven, eight, nine percent, whatever the numbers are, it does challenge the banking system. There may be some further fatalities in that industry given the wide divergence of what we where we were a year ago in terms of cost of money versus where we are now. So it'll be something we're going to want to observe very, very carefully is that $250,000 limit of FDIC insurance. Is that comfortable for our listeners or has that uh, risen a, a red flag and you're running down to the bank and, and maybe opening up separate accounts or in separate banks or in mom's name or dad's name? to kind of protect that asset. Despite all this negative stuff, consumer confidence is up slightly this month, gained nearly a point in March to just over 104. So this is a measurement that we look at on a regular basis. And it does show fewer Americans are planning to buy big ticket items like appliances or cars. So we'll see where that goes. Maybe we're at the end of this rate hike problem. Maybe we'll see a reversal, and we'll see rate reductions in the ongoing quarter or two. We're at the end of the first quarter here, and we've survived through bank crises and uh, crypto crises. And speaking of crypto, Sam Bankman-Fried is now being charged with bribery. He's being accused of bribing a Chinese official with $40 million. Allegedly, he was using corporate money to fund a lifestyle in the Bahamas that was pretty enviable. We'd all like to have oceanfront properties for me and all my buddies to live comfortably in, in the Bahamas. With me in studio today, we're gifted to have Brian Calkins. Brian is the managing partner of Proxy Freedom. And I got to ask you right off the bat, Brian, have you been spending time in the Bahamas? You got a great tan. <laughs> no, I haven't. Pat, I'm, I'm safely safe and secure in Central Florida. It's hard to escape the sun living in Florida. That's my alibi. Okay. <laughs> Brian, this whole banking issue, we finally have some bipartisan support where senators are pushing legislation to claw back compensation from executives after the bank fail. You know, on the day before Silicon Valley Bank went under, they paid out a bunch of bonuses to key employees and the execs. Josh Hawley, Mike Braun are introducing a bill this week to allow the FDIC to recoup five years worth of compensation, not just the one that was checks printed the day before. And also, I'm told a couple of execs sold bank stock. That's pretty silly that they would think they wouldn't get caught. The regulation and the rules, they exist to (laughs) protect investors, to protect the population. It's hard for the government to say how much a company can and should pay in a bonus right? Or set the salary for its executives. That that sounds more like communism and not free capitalism. Yep. At the same token that somebody sees the signs of uh, the smoke signals, they have the chance to run, run for the woods and leave investors holding the bag. And, and they knew that there were problems and that the bank was going to collapse. Also part of a capitalistic system to see justice made. Absolutely. Uh, you and I have a seminar coming up in the next couple of weeks. We're going to talk about protection of the everyday John and Mary investor and some of the fundamental principles of 
a sound financial plan seminar coming up in April. All right, April 13th at noon Pacific time, we're going to have a special guest, David Vogel, and he's going to talk together with us how we can help you reframe your retirement goals using the four C's of retirement income and planning strategies, okay? So April 13th on Thursday at noon in Pacific time, uh, you can join us online and and bring your questions, right? You can. It's a dynamic discussion. So that's April 13th, can, a webinar. Yes, you can register at don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE and the team will help you sign up. That's don'tinvestandforget.com altogether, lowercase, no apostrophe, or 888-PLAN-WISE to register for the seminar online. So, Brian, there's so many issues of the day between the banking crisis. We've got debt issues at the federal and state level. We've got inflation. We've got expected higher unemployment. I mean, these are some of the things that the webinar will cover Mm. in terms of how to pause and kind of reflect on what do you do with your money? Should you move from this area of the economy to a different area based on where 2023 is going? That's a common question we get every single day, right, Pat, and and have for the last two decades. And I don't think it's going to change in the next two decades. Um, The way we like to frame it, you have a plan, a battle plan. You know where you want to go. You know um, uh, what's your end goal and what what changing and markets and investment strategies is the battlefield, right? Is the route you're going to take to get there on your GPS. You have many routes to get to the same destination. You could go through one Avenue or another street. And that's where a plan, knowing where you want to get and working with your financial advisor, working with your financial team. um, And that's what we've been doing for decades is that that's the core of navigating through through tumultuous times, right? We've Absolutely. had only a handful of clients have called us during this banking crisis because they know that we, we, we've got their back. We have a plan. Brian Calkins joining me in studio today. He's the managing partner of Proxy Freedom. Here's a challenge in, in France. I wish we kind of had these problems in the U.S. Millions of people are protesting throughout the country to push back the retirement age. French lawmakers are pushing a bill through Parliament that would increase retirement age from, get this, 62 to 64. I mean, we should have those problems here. What we at, 65 or 66? And it's got to go up considerably if the lawmakers would look at the trend lines. It's got to be 67, 68 based on our longevity issue and demographic. demographics and the fact that the system is broke. I mean, it's projected to be broken in the next 11 years or so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, look, nobody nobody wants to only stop working and enjoy life after they're 70, 75, right? Um, but also, I think one of the things that's happening with the, these, the retirement age and, and the definition of that for especially Social Security uh, programs around the world is that retirement has changed. Right. When Social Security was created many, many years ago, it was congratulations, you survived. And now you have the right to stop working and and and, um, uh, relax a bit. Right. And that has changed. Like the gig economy, people can can retire from their full time job and continue working part time or online. Um, So I think 
what 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 the lawmakers need to understand as well is that the definition of retirement has changed and therefore the system needs to be adapted as well. It's not a 60-hour work week and then you go to zero. In many cases, you kind of adapt to a slower. Maybe you, you go down to you know, 20 hours a week. It's so exactly. it, it like it's not like our our parents, they worked yeah. like a bandit and then the following day they had zero hours. I mean, sure. there's so many yeah. variations and hybrids of what retirement looks like today. Exactly. And lawmakers need to update the system. And that that's going to be a a tough overhaul. So you're not moving to France to so you can retire a couple years early is those rumors are floating around <laughs> the office, Brian. For now, they're rumors. Your French is kind of weak. Your Spanish is good, <laughs> but your French is not good. Yeah, that's an um, interesting problem that French people are coming to the realization that retiring at 62 is, it's not going to work economically, financially. Yeah. Yeah. And so, Brian, you know, there's a lot of dialogue in this country about the Social Security system really spending more than they're taking in. I mean, it doesn't yeah. take a rocket scientist to figure this out, that it's going to go broke in about 11 years is what all the projections yeah, show. Yeah. The legislators have the kind of gumption I think they need to step up, and neither party wants to promote that kind of a bill. The next election, they'll point to, uh, well, Brian, in your campaign speech, you talked about increasing retirement age and decreasing Social Security. So now yeah. you're in a defensive position. Nobody wants to do that. But conscionably, they've got to come up with a bipartisan bill and it wouldn't be on the 50-year-old. It would be on the 25-year-old, right? Exactly. And so anybody, I'll just pick an age 25, you're not retiring at, at 65. You're retiring at 70. Because if the mortality is increasing at a rapid pace now, imagine 50 years from now. We'll be living to be 117. And it's a, it's a very it's very simple math, right? You're going to, uh, the first years of your life, you don't work, you study, Right. And then you you finish college uh, for those that study, and then you start working right around your thirties, let's say twenty five, thirty years old, and then you're going to retire at seventy. And with longevity, you're going to die another thirty years later, right? So I know this sounds kind of morbid to our listeners, but that's that's the formula. Yeah. And you're going to work thirty, forty years. You're going to be economically active. That money's got to last. You got to have savings. And that money has to last until your last day or the money's going to run out before you run out. Yeah. The old story is you retire at 65, you went on a cruise and bought a Cadillac at 66 and you died at 67. They were the rules. (laughs) Everybody followed those rules. So to our point is savings rates among young people has got to increase because even though you're going to get a Social Security check, we all know that's not going to support you fully in the lifestyle you've probably grown accustomed to. Savings rates, 401k contributions, IRA contributions for that 40 year period you mentioned, Brian, is absolutely essential or else you're living with friends or in somebody's basement for the rest of your life. Will. There's a way to do it, right? And and by making these contributions and putting money into the right buckets, um, you can reduce taxes currently, right? And then when you take the money out, you're going to have to pay taxes. But those are, those are things that we've been doing for 20 years uh, in our careers. And we'll be glad to um, set up an appointment, talk talk to folks about their particular situation. There's no one formula. I see a lot of influencers on social media, on YouTube. This is what you have to do. But that might be talking about a great tool, but it might not pertain exactly to your situation. And reach out to the team here at Proxy Freedom. We'll be glad to start the conversation. 
Brian Calkins joining me in studio today. He's the managing partner of Proxy Freedom. He and I are going to do a seminar. Uh, talk about the seminar one more time, Brian. It's a, yeah. It's actually a webinar, correct? Yes, a, a webinar. It's going to be online, free to join. Um, we'll see everybody at April 13th at noon uh, Pacific time. Uh, we're going to have a special guest, David Vogel. He's going to talk about the four C's of retirement income and planning strategies. And to sign up, right, how, how do you get to the webinar is uh, you go to don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE. Don'tinvestandforget.com or call 888-PLAN-WISE. Thanks, Brian, for joining us today. I think it was uh, some really good discussion. We'll look forward to the webinar if you'd like a consultation in any one of our Bay Area offices or through Zoom or even a telephone call, give us a call at one triple eight plan wise. That's eight 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 P L A N W I S E or go to our website, don't invest and forget dot com. That's don't invest and forget dot com. says don't invest and forget. My very special guest today is Joseph Matthews. Joseph is an attorney and an author of many books that are dedicated to helping individuals. His most recent book, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and Pay for It. Joe, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Pat. Joe, long-term care is one of those frightening stories that a lot of people just don't want to talk about. We kind of stick our heads in the sand because the numbers are so phenomenal where we look at the cost of somebody who's confined to long-term care. Talk to our audience about how this whole problem has kind of evolved. Well, I think, Pat, you're absolutely right. Uh, People are hesitant, if not downright afraid, to talk about it, but it becomes more and more important to talk about it among family members as early as possible, and that's for a couple of reasons. One is that it used to be that families took care of their elders in their homes, but because families are so spread out in our country, that's become more and more difficult. Also, because people are living so much longer now, the issue of long-term care becomes a bigger problem. People don't just get sick and die. They get sick and get better and become frail and may live 20, 30, or 40 years needing some kind of care. So the old model of, well, grandma will just live in the back bedroom with us as she fades away doesn't work very well for a lot of people, for most people, in fact. So the combination of those two things, the fact that people are living a lot longer and that families are spread out so much more makes the old model of families providing all care that an elder needs unworkable for many, if not most, families. That means that we've got to turn somewhere else for the long-term care that our elders need, and that means paying somebody. So we're talking about an expense that can run for two years, five years, 10, 20, or 30 years. As your book points out, there are currently 6 million people receiving daily care outside the family. And we know this baby boomer whole group, 78 million moving into this retirement phase, the 6 million number today is going to look pretty small five and 10 years from now. Well, absolutely right. And that doesn't count people who are receiving care on something less than a daily basis, you know, two or three times a week. Plus, all the people who are still getting care 
primarily from their family members rather than from outside. So you're really talking about tens of millions of people who need long-term care. And the question is, who's going to provide it, where it's going to be provided, and who's going to pay for it? Do we have the facilities built today to accommodate these numbers, Joe? Yeah, I think one of the things that's happened is that the long-term care world or the long-term care community has expanded enormously in the last 20 years or so. There is now a wide range of services and residences for elders. The problem is not so much finding care. The problem is affording it. And that's where a family commitment needs to be made. People have to understand throughout a family that this is a long-term project, that everybody has to pitch in, And one of the very first things that people need to do is to make a realistic family assessment and commitment. Who's going to be able to pitch in physically? Who's going to be able to pitch in in terms of providing a place to live? Who's going to be able to pitch in in terms of money? And how many assets are are available? Then you can move to the second step of saying, okay, now what kind of care is really needed what's out there that matches that care, and then how do we find it and and move into it. You know, there are several steps in the process, but there is plenty of care out there. It's just a matter of finding and matching the right level of care to your needs and figuring out who's going to provide it and who's going to pay for it. Joe, statistically, what kind of average length of time do folks spend in nursing homes? Is it many years? Is it a couple months? That's a very tricky figure. It's the question that everybody asks, but the answer is very slippery, and for this reason, the statistics include people who are in nursing facilities following surgery, following severe illness, who die rather quickly in skilled nursing facilities, and then they either die or they move out. It also includes people who move into long-term care facilities that are not really what we used to think of as nursing homes, but are residential facilities of one sort or another. So, so much of this depends on what you're counting as a nursing facility. Okay, with that introduction, what we're still talking about is people average anywhere from six months to 18 months an actual nursing facility once they move in. The problem is not the average. The problem is how to figure out what to do if you're one of those people who winds up spending two, three, or five years. That's the real problem. There's another part of this, which is it's not always just the time you spend in a nursing facility, because for years before that, you may need and have to pay for home care and then maybe assisted living and then finally a nursing facility. So it's the whole long spectrum of long-term care that you need to consider, not just what are my odds of spending X number of months in a in a nursing home. I read a statistic recently that said the odds of us submitting a claim for our homeowners and auto insurance is something like one in 39,000, but most of us would not live a day without homeowners and auto insurance. Contrast that sharply with the percentage of people who own a long-term care policy is something like one or two or three percent. But statistically, one in two of us will have some need to have some kind of long-term care commitment, even if it's for a modest number of days. So we have this issue of very few people are covered, but statistically, many of us will need to use a long-term care facility of some sort at some point. The statistic is, it's illustrative of several things at once. It's illustrative, first of all, of the fact that 
long-term care insurance is fairly new. That is, it's the last 20 to 30 years. And the first generation of policies were lousy for consumers. And consumers in general are not stupid. They realized that the policies weren't very good, and so they weren't buying them. They've gotten better over time, but they still are expensive. They still ask you to pay for something that you may never need, which is true, of course, of homeowner's insurance as well, or automobile insurance. But more than that, they're asking you to pay for a very long time. If you buy it long-term care insurance in your 50s, for example, when it's affordable and it starts to make sense to buy it, you may go for 20, 30, or 40 years of paying premiums and never use it. So as an investment, it doesn't make a lot of sense as a financial investment. What it does make sense as is a security blanket. It can give you that sense of security that, well, I may not need it, but if I do, if I wind up in that situation, I know I will have at least partial coverage, substantial partial coverage uh, from this policy, and that takes the burden off of my assets and my family. My special guest today is Joseph Matthews. Joseph is an attorney and he's an author of several books. His most recent one, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and pay for it. Joe, in the last segment, we kind of talked about and defined long-term care and some of the of demographics facing this whole industry. Get a lot of calls, a lot of emails and said, Pat, I don't need long-term care. I've got a very good Medicare plan. I've got a very good Kaiser plan. I'm covered by Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Is that going to cover them for long-term care, Joe? Well, unfortunately, Pat, you you put your finger on a very big misconception that a lot of people have, which is, oh, when I turn 65, I'm going to have Medicare, or I already have it, plus I've got a supplement, I'm covered. The fact is that Medicare pays for only about 2% of all long-term care. That's because Medicare does not pay for the kind of long-term care that we think of as long-term nursing facility care. Medicare only covers recovery from a serious injury or illness. That's the only nursing facility care that Medicare covers. Because of that, as soon as you have recovered to whatever level you're going to recover to, Medicare stops paying. There is no provision in Medicare for long-term care. Similarly, there is no coverage for long-term care in Medigap supplemental health insurance policies through Blue Cross, Blue Shield, or anybody else. So the combination of Medicare plus Medigap private health insurance does nothing for you for long-term care. Similarly, if you belong to a managed care plan, uh uh-uh, sorry folks, long-term care is not a part of the package. So people operate under this misconception, they make no planning, they make no provisions for long-term care and expect that somehow the health insurance that they have, which may be very good, is going to cover it and they wind up with basically with nothing from these major programs. The other idea that I get a lot of calls on, Joe, and you probably have heard this many times also, we're going to give away mom and dad's assets and become eligible for whatever state you live in for their state program. In California, it's Medicaid or Medi-Cal. So we'll give away the assets. If we have an annuity, we'll annuitize it, which basically gives up the asset and you just get the income stream. There's a three-year look-back period. Is that still legislated in to... Well, Congress has, has gotten tighter. There used to be a three-year look-back period. A look-back period means that if you've given away any asset or sold it for less than its real value within 36 months uh, of applying for Medicaid, or Medi-Cal as it's called in California, those assets will be counted against your eligibility 
for Medicaid coverage of long-term care and nursing facilities. So what was happening is millionaires were giving away the money to the kids so the state would have to carry them. That's right. Not that many people were doing it with millions of dollars, but enough people were doing it that Congress got very concerned. They have now pushed that up, that 36-month limit, to five years, 60 months. Also, if you have been found to have given away an asset within that 60-month period, your disqualification from Medicaid coverage starts not from the date that you gave the asset away, which was the old rule, but now it starts from the date that you apply for Medicaid. So essentially, you know, if you gave away to your kids $100,000, you would have to spend down $100,000 from the date you apply for Medicaid and that's based on the amount each month that they would count against the 100000 is based on the average of nursing facility costs in the state. You're looking at six months or so of no coverage at all. So basically, Congress has shut the door effectively because there are not very many people who want to speculate that five years from now, I'm going to need long-term care in a nursing facility, and so I'm going to give away all my assets right now. So if I'm eligible for Medicare for at 65, start getting the income stream, start getting the Medicare plan, and then at age 75, I give away all my money, it's not a, a 60-month, a five-year. It effectively becomes a 10-year look back, doesn't it? The look back depends on when you, if you give it away at 65 and then apply for Medicaid, uh, Medi-Cal in California, at 75, the look back period exactly begins at 75. So you're right, it could be a long stretch where you're receiving no coverage because the penalty, essentially, the disqualification from Medicaid coverage begins when you apply, not when you gave the money away. What about the notion of annuitizing annuities to get rid of the asset under your name? Is that still a good idea? You're the financial planner. You know know better whether it's... From a financial planning point of view, it's a terrible idea. Yeah, and in terms of Medi-Cal eligibility for a nursing facility, it's considered giving away the money in any other way. In other words, whatever the date is that you have put that money out of reach, it used to be that was the date that they started calculating your disqualification period. Now it's the date that you apply for Medi-Cal coverage. Okay. So the annuitization process qualifies the same as the what you've just described with this five-year look back. There are some special Medi-Cal qualifying annuities that you've got to go to a a lawyer who knows how to do that special qualifying annuity, but there are certain circumstances that allow you to do that. It's not available for most people. The other problem is that if you've got an income stream from the annuity, that's going to disqualify you. So, you know, an annuity uh, just doesn't work because, of course, the whole point of an annuity is to keep the income stream going. Well, if you've got an income stream, you're not going to qualify for Medi-Cal. Let's get into some of the components. You know, the whole insurance industry has been hard at work creating a whole collection of new kinds of plans. In my mind, there are three basic components to a long-term care plan. There's clearly... The confinement period where the insurance company is going to pay you a per diem rate, let's say $100 a day for confinement in a nursing home. The second feature is home health care where a medically trained person comes in the home and performs some medical service. And thirdly, it's adult daycare, assistance with bathing and dressing. Are they still the three fundamental underpinnings of a basic long-term care plan? Yeah, although they're a little bit broader now than the way you've sketched it. When people are considering a long-term care insurance policy, one of the things they want to consider is getting the most flexible payout possible. That is, they want to have a per diem that they can spend in any way. That is, on home care, 
on assisted living, on adult daycare, or on a nursing facility. You don't want to limit yourself, particularly if you have family available who can help you maintain in the home for quite a while. You don't want to limit yourself just to nursing facility care or just to home care. You want to get a flexible payout. If you already know that you're going to be heading straight for a nursing home, for example, because you live alone, you have no family, the only way you're going to be able to maintain is in a nursing facility, then buying home care coverage doesn't necessarily make sense. But most people are buying long-term care insurance at a time when they don't know what their needs are going to be. So what you want to do is maximize the breadth of coverage that you can get because you don't know what's going to be needed somewhere down the line. We're talking today with Joseph L. Matthews. Joe has been an author and an attorney. His recent book, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and How to Pay for It. In our next segment, we're going to ask Joe about some of the revolutions going on in the insurance world and how they've adapted and created new kinds of long-term care plans where you can even get all your money back if you don't use it. We've been talking today with Joseph L. Matthews. Joe is an attorney and an author of many books, one most recently, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and How to Pay for It. Joe, we've seen the industry, the insurance industry, I should say, react to the demographic pure numbers of people that would potentially be eligible for long-term care insurance, creating a whole new revolution of new products, aren't they? They have been responding to the fact that their demographic that they're reaching out to is getting bigger, uh, but also getting financially smarter. As you pointed out in the last segment, many financial advisors point out a well-managed portfolio that keeps an eye on the need for long-term care may be a better financial investment than long-term care insurance because, of course, that money remains available to you and your heirs and doesn't go down the drain as premiums that never result in benefits. Also, of course, that money is available to you for any emergency need that comes up. That is, you can spend it on whatever you want. So the insurance industry has said, oh, wait a minute, financial advisors are rightly telling people that long-term care insurance may not be a great investment, Let's try to make the policies more attractive. And one of the things they've done is to introduce various kinds of refund provisions. Those include non-forfeiture provisions where if you have to drop your coverage before you collect any benefits, uh, some percentage of your equity is returned to you. But that's usually a fairly small amount. There's also what's called reduced paid-up provisions which allow you to drop your coverage at some point but still collect reduced benefits if you qualify. That's for folks who start paying and then 10 or 20 years down the road find that the premium hikes are too stiff for their reduced income. There are also death refunds and survivorship provisions. There are a combination of refund provisions that allow people to recoup at least some. I wouldn't say all. I don't know of any policies where you can recoup all of your benefits, but there are some that permit you to recoup a small to middle portion of the premiums that you've paid under certain conditions. Of course, as with anything else, in order to get these better refund provisions, the premiums you pay along the way are higher. Like everything else in a long-term care insurance policy, the provisions have gotten more complex and better for consumers over the last decade, but the better the policy provisions, of course, the, the higher your premiums. Joe, let me put you on the spot here. The insurance industry has done very well for 100 plus years, principally life insurance kind of protectors. And statistically, from an underwriting point of view, it's easy to track death rates. I mean, counties and all the government levels know exactly what the mortality levels are. So you can put an actuarial number on there. 
My nervousness, Joe, is this is a fairly new industry, 20 years, as you mentioned. It makes me a little concerned that these policies may not be actuarially sound, given the fact that longevity is certainly something we've seen. You know, there's commercials every day. You know, I'm 105 years old. I'm 107 years old. So what we thought was going to be a few-month commitment, maybe 10, 20-year commitment to some of these nursing homes, are life insurance going to be uh, financially sound if statistically these uh, numbers go through the roof in terms of claims? Very good question, Pat. This points up one of the reasons that you want to have, if you're going to invest in, essentially, a long-term care policy, you want to do it with a long-established insurance company. Because if you buy a policy that may seem more attractive with an insurance company that isn't going to be there in 20 years, you've bought a pig in a poke. So that's one point. The other point is you're absolutely right. In the first decade or so of writing these policies, the insurance companies basically didn't know what they were doing actuarially. And a lot of them said, well, we miscalculated. We're paying out far more. And on the basis of that, went to state regulators in every state and said, we need to have our premiums raised. Of course, what that did was pass on the cost to the consumers, and consumers got the fuzzy end of the lollipop. They wound up having to pay much higher premiums than they thought they were paying when they signed up for the policy because the insurance companies did their math wrong. So this is a continuing problem with long-term care insurance policies. The insurance industry knows how to protect itself. If the insurance companies get in big trouble, they go to the regulators. The regulators bail them out and the cost is passed on to the consumers. If they don't get bailed out, then the company goes under and the consumer gets nothing. So putting yourself into the maw of long-term relationship with an insurance company is a sketchy business and one that you don't have a lot of control over. You're listening to Your Financial Life with Pat Fatucci. My special guest today is Joseph Matthews. Joe is an attorney and an author. His most recent book, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and how to pay for it. We're really talking about nursing home care insurance. Joe, is this decision about nursing home care insurance, is it a good idea to get your adult children involved in this whole discussion? It is, I think, for the larger question of what your uh, long-term care is going to look like, how it's going to be paid for, not just for the insurance question. What you really need to do is to find out from your adult children how they view your old age. How are they going to participate What are they going to commit to? What are they capable of? And when you do that, you'll get a much better sense of what your needs may be, which can then be translated into, do I need long-term care insurance? If so, what should it cover? Home care, as well as nursing facility care, just nursing facility care, just home care. What are my needs likely to be and what are my options? I think the extent to which families can discuss these things together They really go a long way towards ending the anxiety for elders as well as understanding that if there is a family commitment, people don't have to make bad decisions under stressful situations. Somebody has a stroke or needs care immediately. If you already know what the family is going to do, people tend to make much better decisions than if there's a crisis and nobody's talked about it before. We've been talking with attorney Joseph L. Matthews. Joe is an author. His most recent book, Long-Term Care, How to Plan and How to Pay for It. It is a huge issue in planning your retirement. Certainly, we want to make sure your money is invested smartly, prudently. It's actively managed. The other issue is, you know, certainly long-term care coupled with regular health insurance costs going through the roof. We know if you're regular Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Kaiser, Medicare, all the basic costs of medical care, 
is skyrocketing. Historically, it's been double-digit kind of inflation when normal inflation is in the range of 3 or 4%. So it's no longer a small bill in retirement. We used to say you need about 70% of your money of what you were working in retirement. Now, given the whole healthcare issue coupled with the long-term care problem, we're really putting that up to 75 and 80%. If you would like a no-obligation consultation, Call today for your financial checkup, one plan wise That's 1-888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Call one plan wise Joe, I really appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I very much appreciate your time today. Thanks so much, Pat. You've been listening to Don't Invest and Forget with author and investment advisor, Pat Fatucci. To gain more information about any of the topics discussed on today's program, or to schedule your appointment for a no-obligation financial plan tune-up in one of Bay Area offices of Atucci & Associates near you, go to don'tinvestandforget.com. That's don'tinvestandforget.com. Or call toll-free 888-PLAN-WISE. That's 888-P-L-A-N-W-I-S-E. Or visit don'tinvestandforget.com. Program guests and Craig Roberts not affiliated with Vitucci and Associates. Information provided for illustrative purposes only does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information obtained from sources deemed reliable, but accuracy and completeness not guaranteed. Vitucci and Associates have no liability for information discussed. Consult with qualified investment, tax, or legal professional prior to taking action. Securities and advisory services offered through United Planners Financial Services. Member FINRA, SIPC, Vitucci and Associates, and United Planners Financial Services are not affiliated.